The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We have John Gibbons with us for our weekly environment spot. I think you might have heard the piece we did yesterday on the deposit return scheme. And one of the things that a lot of listeners seem to be annoyed about, particularly small retailers, they feel they're going to be excluded. They're not going to be able to afford the machines that take back the surrendered cans and bottles, which puts them as an disadvantage as against the big supermarkets. (laughs) Yeah, good evening, Matt. Yeah, I, I did indeed hear the piece and I think it's always the case whenever we you know, initiate a new, either a new technology in this case or uh, a change of, of, of well-established patterns, people, you know, the natural reaction is to kick up to it. I well remember the, the, the negative reaction to the plastic bag ban and I'm sure you had many publicans once upon a time telling you that if the smoking ban was implemented in the pubs of Ireland, there would be no pubs of Ireland We, we filled hours of the programme. Precisely, Matt. That. Now, the point is that, that we, you know, it's a natural human reaction to be a little bit fearful of change and I think this is the case in point and of course there's going to be teething problems, this is going to be easier for the big guys but by and large, the purpose of this is to reduce the amount of waste. We have a colossal amount of plastic waste and aluminium waste going into the environment at the moment. A lot of people have brought up the multi-pack thing as a problem and I'm sure you've bought an occasional slab of beer <laughs> or you might have bought a sort of a container in cardboard wrapping say of 24 cans of a soft drink which are not to be sold separately and people suggesting that those particular cans don't have the barcode on them to allow them to return them so they lose out because of that I honestly couldn't tell you it's a, it's a wee while since I bought a slab of 24 cans Matt I have to admit but uh, I, next time I'm, I'm heading out up the fields uh, with, with my slab under my arm I will definitely check it out and report back to the show Do you ever drink <laughs> bottled water? I don't really drink bottled because water Because that's another thing it's in plastic containers for the most part yeah. sometimes you get some of it sold in solid glass which you return to the bottle bank but most people who do decide to buy their sparkling water or who don't trust their tap water buy it in plastic containers are they right to do so well Again, I, I remember a guy called Jeff Reed, the founder of Ballygowan, going on to the Late Late Show many years ago and being laughed heartily at by the entire audience because he put this crazy proposition to the Irish public. I'm going to put water into a bottle and you're going to buy it. And even Gay Byrne, I remember, was roaring laughing at this. And guess what? We bought it. And we since we've bought many billions of bottles of, of, of water. So I suppose that's a trend. That's what's happened. Uh, whether you, I mean, we're very fortunate in Ireland that the water that comes out of our tap, uh, it, the, the public service water in Ireland is very high quality. So you don't need to buy bottled water if you want to buy it. For example, if it's carbonated, if, there's, if, if, you, if you like the taste of fizzy water, great. But the quality of water that you get, say, in your typical plastic bottle is, first of all, I'd say it's no better than tap water number one. But secondly, I'll suggest that it's less likely to be heavily contaminated with microplastics relative to the water that comes out of your tap. So this, I suppose, segues into a a new study that was published this week. And what it discovered, uh, which I think people will find a little alarming, is that your average litre amount of uh, bottled water in a plastic bottle contains, on average, a quarter of a million of what are called nanoparticles of plastic. So when you drink down a half a litre or a litre of bottled water, you're ingesting uh, roughly a quarter of a million particles of nanoplastic into your body. Does that matter? Well, uh, first of all, the... It doesn't sound great, does it? Let's be honest. Uh, if, for example, I had said to you that you you were ingesting ground-up glass, you'd probably say, I don't like the sound of that. I'm not sure uh, that probably isn't good. Now, the issue, I suppose, well, first of all, let me explain what a, what a, what 
these nanoparticles are. First of all, the size of them. Typically, a nanoparticle of plastic is less than a micron across. Now, a micron is... Uh, right, the width of a human hair is about 83 microns. So one micron is one-eightieth of the, of the width of a human hair. Now, what that means is when it gets into the body, these contaminants, these plastic contaminants are so fine that they pass through, for example, things like the, the blood-brain barrier. So we're ending up with plastic contamination lodging deep in our organs, in our lungs, in our kidneys, and in our brains. Problem with this stuff is once it's in there, we don't really know what it's doing. What we guess it's doing, Matt, is interfering with cellular function because these nodules are so tiny that they're actually interacting at a molecular and a well, sorry at a cellular level so for example the, the the scientists in this study they've identified approximately a hundred cancer causing chemicals tied up in these now this is pretty alarming stuff but it is important to say that we we live in a world that is awash with plastics there's no getting around it uh, last year about 430 million tons of plastic were produced distributed and by the way hundreds of millions of those tons ended up back in the environment in the form of waste and in the form, for example, of micro and nanoplastics in the oceans. We know, for example, that uh, a cubic metre of ocean water contains trillions of microplastic and nanoplastic particles. So, essentially, these things are everywhere. You asked me the question, what harm do they do? It's difficult to say. Are they implicated in cancers? Possibly. But what we know is these are accumulating. Once they go into your body, there's no way for them to come out. So they're, they're basically inter interfering with us at a cellular level. And of course, they're not getting into fish that we eat as well, aren't oh, yeah. they? Absolutely. You don't even have to get your fish wrapped in the shop in plastic because the plastic comes internally. Yeah. Okay. And then just jump on for me as to medicines getting into water and how that can actually have an impact on human health as well. You know, in, in the sense that we take medicines because of particular conditions, but we don't take medicines if they're not necessarily suited to us. But will we get particles of those medicines in our water? That's right. Uh, the first thing to say is, uh, let's just start with antibiotics, which of course, they've been around since about the 1940s. So we've, we've had the benefit, humanity's had the benefit of, of antibiotics for about 80 years. So we're about three generations. And these are remarkable things. that Infections and diseases that we used to die from are now treatable by antibiotics. So on, in an average year, about 40,000 tonnes of antibiotics are ingested by humans. However, over 130,000 tonnes, Matt, a year are ingested in livestock. So we're using far more antibiotics globally into livestock than we are in humans. Now, these antibiotics, they pass through your system. So because of coating and so on, a certain amount of them are, are absorbed. And this, by the way, also goes for psychiatric drugs. It goes even for things like caffeine and paracetamol. So these are basically drugs that are, some of them are, are prescription drugs, some of them are veterinary drugs, and some of them are over the counter drugs. And some of them you get in your cup of coffee or in your can of Coke. They pass through the human body, they pass into our waterways, but our current water treatment systems are incapable of filtering out these. So what they basically do, you've guessed it, they end up in the waterways as alongside all those uh, nanoplastics as yet another form of pollution. And these have very particular effects. Uh, for example, the, the most common effect uh, for some of the hormonal ones is to interfere, for example, with uh, fish, their reproductive systems. Uh, they also cause them to be unable to detect predators. So they're, they're, they're hormonal disruptors, which they have that effect in humans and they certainly have that effect as they accumulate in, in the food chain. Okay, we're getting a couple of people getting on to us about the multi-packs and one listener says, I'm a retailer, I can tell you that from the 1st of May, all multi-packs will have individual barcodes on them. Now that leaves a gap between February and May, but it shows that the issue is actually been dealt with and a couple of those uh, text 
text messages coming in. Another one, though, says, this is from Grace in Dublin, the issue with the new scheme is losing the benefit and convenience of recycling cans and bottles in our green bin, which we're already paying for the privilege of. Yeah, we may have for a period uh, a sort of an overlap. And I suppose it's important to say that, uh, for example, that the amount of energy that goes into producing a, a single uh, aluminium can, it's really quite extraordinary. Huge amounts of energy. Uh, it's a combination of uh, ingredients, raw materials from Australia, being manufactured, shipped across the world, manufactured in the US, maybe consumed in Europe, uh, and then chucked away. Now, if you recycle an aluminium can, you can recover or reduce the amount of energy involved in in taking that can, recycling it and making a new aluminium can. It's about 90 to 95% less energy intensive, Matt, than making one from scratch. And of course, it doesn't require new minerals. It doesn't require new bauxite to be mined because we should be very mindful that we are we're collectively, we're overusing things. What we're doing is we're using stuff once, we're chucking it out. I mean, anyone who passes a bin in Dublin City will see them, for example, stuffed full of coffee cups. Yes. Well, I was in Clarny at the weekend and that's a town that now doesn't allow you to take the coffee cups away from the cafes and restaurants and it's a much cleaner town and also they have lots of signs up showing how much refuse they're avoiding by that all the time. A lot of response to what you said about the water in the plastic bottles. A lot of people saying that they drink it because not all of the water coming from our taps is fit for drinking. Some comes with boil notices. Give me those nanoplastics ahead of some of the stuff we're getting out of our old lead pipes any day. Yeah, uh, lead pipes are, are a challenge and I think particularly uh, where we have a lot of group water schemes in Ireland uh, a lot of those have are compromised, uh, for example they can, they, can, they can have high levels of nitrates in them, so there is a problem particularly as you move away from the large urban areas which have proper filtration systems. The group water schemes uh, the standards there attend and, and I'm sure they'll be on to, to correct me on this but my understanding is that the, 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 the standards achievable are lower and in some cases they lead, for example, as, as your listeners said to to having to have boil notices to make sure that the water is 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 safe to drink but by and large matt in this country we produce and have excellent safe drinking water which i should add isn't free it doesn't fall from the sky into your cup it has to be filtered we spend somewhere between one and a half and two billion euros a year simply making water safe which by the way is a critical uh, investment Okay, Uh, going back to the other issue in relation to the return of uh, plastic bottles and tin cans for liquids. My local shop can't get a vending machine, so if I buy six cans of fizzy drinks there, I have to bring the spent cans back to the supermarket where I get a voucher to spend there. Good for big business, not for small, says James in Waterford. That is the issue a lot of small retailers feel, that people will get their refunds, they'll collect their bottles or their cans, they'll go to the big retailers and they'll get a voucher that'll have to be spent there rather than back in the small shop. Yeah, I mean, that... As we said in the outset, that is a challenge and, and, and hopefully small retailers will be supported in this because we all want to see small retailers survive. Uh, but I think the critical thing, we have to keep our eyes on the prize here. And the prize is we've got to stop these thousands and millions of used containers working their way into the environment. And this is a terrific way to do it. Okay. We want to finish off by talking about nuclear power because the British today have announced plans for further nuclear power expansion. And this is something I suspect, based on our previous conversations, you'd be in agreement with. Yes, I would, Matt. I mean, the, the expansion that Britain is looking at, they describe it as their biggest expansion in nuclear power in, in, for about 70 years. I mean, and of course, Britain, uh, from the 1950s onwards, uh, was big into nuclear energy for, for, for um, commercial use, as in for, for uh, electricity production. 
And like a lot of uh, original nuclear powers, it was a kind of a joint programme where they were developing nuclear weapons on the one hand and they were developing nuclear energy on the other hand. So that, that I think, is part of the reason or one of the reasons why uh, people are, are sort of anti-nuclear. But I think it's important to say that first of all, today, nuclear produces about 15% of, of Britain's uh, total electricity mix is nuclear. Uh, America, it's about 20%. France, it's about 75%. And the critical thing about nuclear energy is, as long as you deal with the, with the, with the waste issues, which of course are not directly released into the environment, unlike burning stuff, uh, it's essentially this is a genuinely uh, zero emissions technology. So, but it's never going to happen in Ireland, and there's a number of reasons why, John, hmm. no matter what we say here, it's never going to happen. One, first of all, the law doesn't allow it. The law would have to be repealed to allow for the construction of a nuclear power plant and the use of nuclear here in Ireland. Secondly, there's nowhere in the country that would agree to the construction of a facility. The planning objections would stop it. The country would be up in arms. There is no way you would actually get it built. So why waste any time even discussing it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think the, I think the battle, if you like, to get a nuclear power plant in Ireland was won and lost, or more point, pointedly lost in Carnesore Point back in the 1970s uh, when when the, the, the popular movement uh, opposed uh, Des O'Malley's plans at the time to, to bring nuclear power into Ireland. Look, that, I think that, that particular, particular ship f- for Ireland has sailed. And we're in the fortunate position, Matt, that we have fantastic renewable resources in Ireland. So I don't think that we're stuck with having to, it's not for us in either or that we must have nuclear. Also, of course, our interconnectors, which uh, we've just commissioned one with France, our interconnector uh, is We'll, we'll be using French electrons in our system fairly soon. We already have an interconnector, by the way, to the UK. So we're, we're using... We're getting nuclear energy. We're using yeah, it. We're just using, hypocritical about precisely. it. Precisely. You wouldn't notice, by the way, the flavour of your cup of tea, whether it was heated with uh, nuclear electricity or electricity yeah, from any other source. That'll be something to do with the water that you have. We have to leave it there. John Givens, thank you very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.